Welcome to the Domestic Draft Podcast. I'm Evan Bierman here with Dan Slowick. Dan, I see you pouring up a pretty large beer there. It doesn't look like it has a label on it. What do you got going on over there? No, we got an exclusive, uh, and it's actually going to be our guest today. Very, very privileged to have, um, you know, before the real grand opening here, uh, an exclusive from Barley and Sword, which is a new brewery here in San Diego. We're going to have the owner and head brewer, uh, Mike Howell, on in a second. Uh, but yeah, really fortunate and grateful, reached out. Um, they're responsive, um, you know, invited them on the show. They accepted. And now we're going to talk all things barley and sword today. Get into it. I'm going to drink this beer. I got their bridge blonde. It's got great color. Uh, just noticing yeah. right off the pour, really good color in there. Excited to drink it. And, you know, uh, let's, let's get started. Let's talk all things barley and sword. We got Mike here right now. Let me take a sip at uh, Evan. Maybe we could take him on. All right. Here to tell us more about this new brewery, Barley and Sword, based out of San Diego, California, is Mike Howell. He's Barley and Sword's owner and head brewer. You can find Barley and Sword on Instagram at Barley and Sword. Their website is barleyandsword.com. Mike, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. Glad to be here. Awesome. Yeah, we're excited about it. So the first question we always want to ask is how you got started in the craft beer industry. Uh, obviously, you're the head brewer here. What's your brewing experience? Um, have you ever worked for another brewery? Uh, so I started homebrewing about uh, 13 years ago with Mead, actually. Uh, oh, never worked oh, wow. for another brewery professionally. This is my first foray into the brewing world uh, on a commercial level. Nice. Is there any experience there with Mead? I mean, that's that's. I don't usually hear that when I hear a home brewer starting off and going right into to Mead. It's like some pretty heavy stuff. <laughs> It can be. Uh, fortunately, yeah. from an equipment perspective, mead is a lot simpler. Ah. Uh, it's very easy to do one pot on the stove with minimal waste ingredients, grains, hops, all that kind of stuff that you got to filter out. Um, so it's very simple. Just honey, water, yeast, if you really want to go really simple. And then uh, you can up it from there. I did a few uh, berry, uh, berry flavored uh, meads in the beginning uh, before I started to make the switch to beer. Nice. Um, well, I guess how long did it take you to make a good mead? Was the first batch like, <laughs> like this is good. I can just make this all the time. I feel like I, I do some homebrewing myself. But I've never tested the waters with mead. It sounds um, intimidating to me, but I mean, does it take a while to, to get that process going? Uh, it was an absolute uh, failure the first time around. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's what I like to hear. That's what I, 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 I had a buddy who, um, who had made a wonderful hibiscus mead and I wanted to, to do a play on that. And I did a lavender hibiscus. Well, a lavender flower is about that big and a hibiscus mm. flower is about that big. And I did equal weights. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it, it ended up being, you know, uh, bed, bath and beyond soap, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I still have, uh, I still have a handful of bottles of it. And over the last 13 years, it aged really well. Oh, there nice. you go. That's something yeah. I had on. So we got a four-man uh, crew, it seems like, over there at Barley uh, and Sword. And, um, you know, I want to I know how long was this an idea? Uh, you know, just some friends maybe talking about it. I know, like, me and Evan, sometimes we get together, we just talk about these, like, pipe dream ideas. Like, wouldn't it be cool if we, you know, did this or opened up that? Um, so what's the process from kind of uh, talking about it to actually going in, uh, about it and uh, right now opening up your own brewery? Uh, for me personally, it's been an idea and a dream since about uh, 15. Uh, in 16, I looked into the opportunity of taking over then El Cajon Brewing Company's spot in mm -hmm. El Cajon right there on, on Main Street. Mm -hmm. And um, 
the timing was, wasn't right. Just didn't work out. So I kind of walked away from it and, uh, was hanging out with some of my D and D buddies and had expressed some, uh, some desire about opening up a brewery. And, and Corey was like, you know, Hey, I've, I've considered this as well. And night in December, we kind of just were all came to the realization of, so yeah, we're going to open up a brewery. Hmm. And, uh, by the end of December, we had a fully formed LLC. And by mid February, we had a lease on this space and, uh, Dang. yeah, we're, we're opening up in a few days or we had about a week and a half. Moving quick. Half. Wow. Yeah. How did the, uh, how'd the name come to fruition? I mean, how did you come up with barley and sword? So I'm a big history guy, hmm. history, heritage, where we come from is really important to me. Um, I ran a Viking age living history group here in San Diego for about 10 years. And we focused on historical authenticity and education. And so brewing for me is kind of a way to touch the past. It's one of the most oldest activities that we as humanity have ever done. And so being able to kind of reach into the process and and do the things that we've been doing for thousands and thousands of years, it kind of ties into that. And so that's that's where the barley comes in. And the sword is very much, you know, humanity's history is also formed in, in war. There's there's a lot that that has that we have done and and advances and successes and everything that humanity has undertaken that have been as a result of warfare. Uh, and so we're kind of mirroring the two together and uh, paying homage to that history of the human experience, because uh, in all actuality, without beer, civilization wouldn't happen. <laughs> I love sure. to hear that. Yeah, yeah. I, I I enjoy that perspective as well. I, I, you know, we've come such a while, a long way, but we're also still, you know, uh, doing some of the same rituals we've been doing for for thousands and thousands of years. Uh, walking in today, definitely you could feel uh, the space being created. Uh, you guys are setting up the aesthetic inside there. But um, for people in the area that are going to come visit you and they haven't really been following yet, what are, what's uh, to be expected when they walk in uh, and kind of the ambiance, the atmosphere of of the brewery? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you can kind of see with the lighting above me and a little bit with the colors of the space, we're definitely kind of focusing on that taverny type feel. Um, not a whole lot of technology. Uh, we're actually weighing the merits of having a, a televised menu at all mm. uh, in the space, uh, really focusing on on comfortable ambiance, a place that is a little bit more quiet, that you can enjoy your conversations with your friends, maybe play a game. Uh, really just kind of settle into a historical space, but that is also not tied to any specific time. Obviously, the history of beer spans thousands of years, and so we want to reflect that that progress uh, in our space. And so hopefully our patrons will kind of pick that up uh, as we try to present that in a in a really a well-thought-out way. I love the nice. idea of of having to go back and forth if you're going to have like a televised menu and how like true and pure you're going to be to the brand. Uh, anything else that has kind of been like brought to the table and you and your crew have had like, you know, discussions night in and night out of of making these decisions? Uh, fortunately, we've all been pretty unified in vision. It, once once I kind of throw out an idea, everybody's like, yeah, that would be really awesome. <laughs> and, you know, for the most part, we're D&D guys. And so we kind of like that meeting in a tavern type uh, situation. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, it's it's all really flowed. I think one of the biggest ones was what we were going to do with the wall, which I'm facing now. Um, 
as far as how we were going to decorate that and kind of make this space our own. And we, we got lucky. Girlfriend sent me a link for this lovely brick wall that comes in a roll on a pallet. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's turned out amazing. Looks great. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, you mentioned some D&D influence there. And I have to imagine the way that you're kind of setting the stage for this brewery, that sounds like a great spot to host a D&D night. Are you guys planning to have any kind of D&D nights uh, going on there right off the bat? Probably not off the bat, uh, just because, you know, as D&D goes, it takes a little bit of scheduling. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But we do we do have a wonderful, you know, about 10 foot uh high top table over here that'd be perfect to set up get about eight people there with the dungeon master uh to set up a game and i I would like to do some one shots here i think that'd be really awesome nice yeah yeah i know revolution by us in chicago has been doing those lately and uh they've been kind of a big hit i think so yeah definitely something uh that more breweries should pick up on yeah Um, i want to go i want to go into like the style because like yeah the the artisan style i think that is kind of coming out of the brewery and it feels very like you want to stay pure you want to stay true to kind of like the craft of brewing beer does that mean that there's going to be styles that that you as a team are just going to say no to Uh, any of like the new trends that are going on you're like we're not going to participate we're going to kind of stay in our lane and do what we do really well uh, absolutely. And yeah. and that's a, re- that's a really good way to put it. Uh, San Diego is pretty much the IPA capital of the world. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. Uh, there's, there is no need for me to, to fight, to get a place in a market that is already well established. Uh, and t- to be honest, I'm not even a big IPA fan. Uh, I, I appreciate a more balanced beer. And so our focus is going to be on beers that are balanced and historical styles. Uh, so IPAs, Right now, I have one in my lineup, and it's mm-hmm. a brand new recipe. I've never brewed it before. I'm excited for it because uh, it's a historical recipe. Um, but that'll probably be the most bitter beer that I have on tap. Can you go? Uh, that just like sparked a little curiosity. Historical recipes. Is this something that you're doing right now in, the, in the, like your research? You're, you're you're going into the archives, and I don't know where where do you find historical recipes for an IPA. Uh, a lot of it is research. Uh, fortunately, yeah. the uh, you know the BJCP, the the Brewers uh, Judge Program, they have a lot of styles that are listed out and well defined, and a lot of those styles that aren't heavily recognized are historical styles. Uh, the English IPA that we will be brewing is going to be as close to a representation uh, to an IPA that you would find coming roll down a gangway in a barrel off of a wooden ship that just sailed from England over to India. It's going to be much more of that balanced. I, I intend to impart some actual oakiness to it to, uh, to pay homage to that time that that beer would spend in an oak barrel. Uh, but that's, it's kind of finding a lot of the, the concept, you know, getting, getting that jumping off point and then doing the research via online, mostly mm-hmm. uh, to, to figure out, all right, this is where, this is where I'm starting. How do I get to where I want to go based off of the information that we have? And Very fortunately, cool. a, lo- a lot of uh, historical brewers were pretty good about keeping, keeping records. Writing it down, writing it down is important. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. What other uh, styles of beer can we expect uh, in the opening lineup when you guys open up in uh, just a week or here? Uh, yeah. So the, uh, the bridge blonde ale that uh, Dan is drinking now is, uh, is going to be on there. The Allstadt uh, Kolsch uh, is also going to be in our opening lineup. We have the uh, Bjorg Dierg, 
which is Gaelic, Irish Gaelic for red beer, is mm. going to be our Irish, Irish red ale, which is not a super common style nowadays. Uh, also going to have a, a Hefeweizen, so a German wheat beer, a uh, English porter, so darker, heavier, a little bit higher ABV. And then one that I'm very excited about is uh, Dora. Dora is a London brown ale, mm-hmm. and it is named after the Defense of the Realm Act. Of course, that was everyone, enacted, everyone knows that. <laughs> everybody knows that, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, was enacted during World War One uh, by the British government because, uh, you know, the war's kicking off. We got to make bombs, right? Mm. Well, the government was concerned about the munitions factory workers spending too much time in the pub. And the pubs at the time in the early 1910s were open 19 and a half hours a day. So they they enacted the Defense of the Realm Act that reduced the operational time for a pub down to five and a half hours a day. (laughs) Due due to this decision, uh, the beers that were served in the pub slowly over time reduced in ABV. They got okay. less and less alcoholic. So a London brown ale that would have been full bodied five and a half percent, all of a sudden was down to three and a half. Hmm. And so we are we are replicating that right now. And I actually just uh, tasted it a little bit before as I was checking the gravity and it's it's coming along nicely. I'm very, very excited about it. Man, it's, I, I, I'm enjoying like the ever, how every style or every beer you're making has a tie uh, to a story, to a historical, you know, historical story. Um, I think it'd be really cool coming in and seeing some of these like old recipes written on like a scroll or something on display. Um, it's a really cool facility. I know not a lot of people who aren't from San Diego really know where you're at, uh, and what that facility is like, but it's, it's like a little igniter, like, a uh, four spaces in there, three, three spaces in there. And I know I've only been out here for about four years now and a couple places have been there very big, prominent places. I know June shine, which is like a huge national brand was in there. I believe Epic, who we had on the show as well, was in there years ago. Um, Pariah, they just moved back out, I think, to to Baltimore, was in there for a long time. Uh, so what's it like to be in that space where, you know, a lot of success stories and a lot of like great breweries start out in? Uh, honestly, a little intimidating. Um, <laughs> if, if I have my if I have my map correct, this used to be Epic's space mm. uh, and it was uh, Pariah's space most recently. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a little bit intimidating to fall into those, follow into those shoes, especially when I'm coming into this with no commercial experience. Um, I have a little bit of small business experience as a woodworker, uh, before, but that's nothing compared to what we're doing here now. So it's a little bit wild, uh, but taking the space and really putting our mark on it has, has made a huge difference in just how it feels and right. really making it our own. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to see what we do here. Nice. Side of the challenge of scaling up from home brewing to, you know, commercial brewing, what was the hardest aspect of starting your own brewery? Uh, honestly, financing. Yeah. The, uh, you know, the, the process exists. There's, there are organizations and, and federal agencies that exist to make this stuff happen for small business owners. Uh, but it's one of those things that you have to take leaps of faith and you have to be patient. And, you know, I've been, I, I served for 14 and a half years in the Navy and I still work for the Navy as a civilian now. So I'm very familiar with hurry up and wait, but it does not get any easier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, 
so that's it, it's a challenge. It's a challenge and and just waiting for those stars to align. Yeah. I want to get into a little bit of the ingredients and and now I I'm maybe a little more curious as well cuz you keep um you know referencing the, the the recipes and the historical recipes that you're getting. Is it hard to find the ingredients there or and how important is it for you uh in sourcing your ingredients? I'm sure there's a lot of competition uh, within this region uh, of demand, and I'm curious if uh, you're going a different way or you're following a lot of the, the the trend of where people are getting it from, or if you you need to really reach far and beyond to get like a certain grain for your recipes. So surprisingly, for about eighty to ninety percent of the ingredients that we use, it's it's not a not a trouble, not an mm-hmm. issue. Uh, I'm not competing with the breweries around here as far as hops. Because I'm using almost strictly noble hops, very old varieties that are common from uh, Britain and Germany, and I'm sticking with those almost entirely uh, across my my lineup of recipes. Uh, my biggest issue has been because of the weather in the UK and mainland Europe over the past couple of years has reduced uh, the yield. Mm. So I'm actually struggling to get some of my my noble hop varieties because of they're just not available. They just, the fields just didn't produce as much as they have in the past. Uh, so that is a little bit more of a challenge from a grain perspective, uh, not an issue. And then, uh, even the, the fruit flies want my beer. Uh, <laughs> and then when it comes time for the fall, when I get ready to do my winter ale, there will be some unique ingredients, uh, sourcing there, but I I've got an in for that up in the Pacific Northwest. So gotta have an in, gotta have a guy, <laughs> especially yeah. when it's grandma. Oh, there you go. There you go. Grandma's (laughs) hooking it up. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, we've talked about how competitive the San Diego brew scene is. What would you say is, is the one thing for barley and sword that's going to help you guys stand out? Is it those, those mugs that you got there? Are we able to use those when we come in? Uh, I do have plans to do a mug club. Uh, No, unfortunately this is, this is my only pewter stein, I picked this up at a thrift shop a number of years ago. It's from the Corporals Club at the Royal Canadian Air Force Base in Goose Bay, Labrador, Canada. Wow, and very cool. I've had, it, I've had it for years. I love it. Uh, I do intend to to start a mug club here sometime within our first year. Um, but as uh, as far as the styles and and competition and what does what's going to set us apart. Because we're not offering the same IPA heavy lineup as as a lot of the other breweries around here, it gives us the opportunity to break into things that people either haven't experienced before or they just don't find. Um, My goal is to create an environment for those people who love beer and love going out to breweries, but they haven't because they know that they're not going to find a beer for them. Mm -hmm. And Let's say they, that those individuals have friends that like IPAs and and like those those crazy experimental types of beers. Well, I got two neighbors that will be happy to provide. Right. It's a, yeah. It's it's good to be part of like that little community there, right? And mm-hmm. you kind of uh, have something for everybody. Are, is it important for you guys to go for accolades and awards? Or are you going in it for kind of the love of it and like this community and creating this environment for people to come and just be a part of it? I am here more to make good beer. And to to provide an environment for people to share that beer in and to share their experience, uh, as it says in our logo, to to enjoy their journey Mm. and to share what they're here for. Would I like to win awards? Absolutely. Uh, Is it an expectation for me? Absolutely not. 
if I have a business that is profitable and I can be a, a positive con a contributing member of the community here, uh, then I'm going to be happy and make good beer, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite style, Abrew? Um, oh, that's a, that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> They're all your babies. Who's your favorite they, kid? <laughs> they, they are, they are all of my babies. Um, this, uh, this Kolsch I am fast falling in love with, mm. uh, my Hef and then the Dunkelweissen to follow it are, are some solid beers. Yeah. I, I, I that's my favorite. I love the German beers as a brewery in Chicago that I absolutely love. It's dovetail. It, it was, it was hard to move away from there and they just make a real good Hef, real good Dunkel. Um, so I'm excited to try yours. What can we expect in the future here? Uh, as we're getting to the end of the interview for Barley and Sword. Uh, you can expect a soft opening here next Thursday, the 15th. We'll be open at noon. Uh, we're getting our team all spun up. Uh, got a few more things to, to knock out on the tasting room. Um, we're going to start off with, with a minimum of, of five beers on our lineup, but I'm hoping by the time we hit July to up that to about eight. And then by the end of the summer, I hope I should be able to have all 13 of my taps filled and uh, start getting ready for the, for the fall beers uh, to, to roll in seasonally. Are those going to be on a TV menu or a chalkboard? Where <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, uh, I happened to see a uh, a leather bound book being made on TikTok this morning, and I'm really leaning towards a nice thick leather bound book. <laughs> That'd be good, right? Nice. Yeah. Um, outside of the the brewery, is there anywhere else that um, you know fans can find your beer? Uh, as of right now, no. Uh, we are we are going to focus on on taproom sales. If the opportunity comes up for distribution, uh, we will take it. Uh, but it's not my focus. My I want to I want to get this place up and running, and and then uh, then we'll we'll go from there. Yeah, bring the community there. Well, thanks so much, Mike, for joining us. Appreciate you filling us in on Barley and Sword. Again, it's he's Mike Howell, Barley and Sword's head brewer. You can find Barley and Sword on Instagram at Barley and Sword. Their website is barleyandsword.com. Mike, anything else you want to add? Uh, no, thank you guys very much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. And uh, Dan, look forward to seeing you here uh, yeah, in the next couple I'll, weeks. And, and Evan, there. Hope, you, hope to have you come out and, and uh, we'll pour your beer. I'm going to check it out. Thanks so much. Thanks, right, Mike. Thank you, guys. you have a good one. All right. Thanks again to our guest. That's Mike Howell. He's the head brewer, CEO, owner, big boss over at Barley and Sword Brewing. Go ahead and give him a visit. They're going to open here. I think June 15th is their soft opening. Um, they're over there off of uh, University. Uh, so uh, I believe it's University. Maybe it's no, I think it's El Cajon, but it's uh, that little incubator there over there in North Park. So Barley and Sword Brewery. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, you got the exclusive taste, Dan. What do you think? I do. Know. You had the Brid Bridge Blonde, the Blondale. I mean, you know, I love I love Blondales. Uh, I I like their whole aesthetic. I like that they're staying true to like the the pure uh, format of brewing and the pure recipes there. Um, so it's really good. Um, I really enjoyed. It. I I was really surprised at the the color of it, um, because it, it you know, blondes are usually pr pretty pretty transparent, translucent uh, in, in their color, but this this has some depth to it. The flavor is really good. Um, and I know, you know, they're talking about their CO2 a little bit, so it's not as carbonated, but it still tastes really good. And I kind of enjoy it. It, it reminds me of some time in, in Germany where you're kind of just sitting at a park and, and they have their little, uh, like, uh, it's, it's almost like a park bar in Europe. You know how they have those, like, they'll have like two taps, pour your beer, you return the cup. 
it's kind of like that. I like it, man. Nice. All right, Dan. Well, I got a fast fact for you before we get out of here. I know we were talking a little bit about how, you know, Mike came on and he provided a lot of the fast facts already for us. Right. I mean, he was a wealth of information there, but we do have one more for you. What is the highest ABV beer in the world? What do you think the percentage is? The highest ABV beer in the world? What is it? Probably like, I don't know, like 20? It's way higher than that. 67.5% ABV. It's the Brewmeister Snake Venom. Origin is in Scotland. 67.5%. Can you imagine? No. Can you drink a pint of that or would you just be annihilated? It comes in a in a bottle, like a like a regular bottle of beer. I don't know. So, you would probably be annihilated. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, like drinking it's a sipper. <laughs> it's a yeah. sipper. It's a sipper. It's a sipper. <laughs> uh, but that's it for us. Thanks again to our guest Mike Hall for joining us today for Dan Slowick. I'm Evan Beer, and you've been listening to the Domestic Draft Podcast. If you're listening on Spotify, don't forget to rate the show. You can find us on Twitter at Domestic Draft. Our Instagram is Domestic Draft Podcast. Our website is DomesticDraft.com. And you can watch the show on YouTube. Just search Domestic Draft and drop us a sub. Thanks again for listening. Cheers. Cheers.